Redeemer Church. It's so good to see you again. I bring greetings from uh, my family and the Fields Church there in Mansfield, as you heard earlier. Um, greetings because we are sister churches in the body of Christ, and so we can greet one another uh, in that way. And I bring thanks because of your pastor, Brett. Uh, he has been a dear friend of mine for many years, been so thankful for his help uh, as both an example, but also encouragement in uh, hard times in my life. Uh, I bring thanks uh, because you've ministered to me and my family uh, without even knowing it. Maybe this past summer, I visited this church on my sabbatical. And uh, as the Lord would have it, your pastor, Brett, preached to my heart that morning on preaching on rest on the early weeks of my sabbatical when I was attempting to rest. And so that was very rich. Uh, and I bring thanks, uh, allowing Brett and I to swap pulpits this morning, which is uh, a bit of a, a cheat uh, because both of us are preaching um, study that we have put in earlier in the year, uh, which enabled us to be equipped and helped this week uh, along with Jordan and uh, some of my guys from my church at the Simeon Trust Preaching Workshop. So I'm thankful for, uh, it wasn't a week off. <laughs> Your pastors did not have a week off, but it uh, allowed us to not do double duty. And so I'm thankful for that. Uh, I'm preaching this morning from John 16, verses 16 through 33. And uh, I want to read uh, the scripture for us this morning and I want you to consider and look for these gospel realities that are ours now in Jesus Christ. Gospel realities that are ours now in Jesus Christ. So John 16, verse 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I am going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant? By saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby. She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father, and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, oh, now you are speaking plainly, and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, 
and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. Uh, what a rich scripture for us uh, to consider this morning. One that has been um, sitting in my heart and in my mind for uh, quite a while. And as you heard in that text, Jesus said, a little while, a little while, in a little while. Seven times Jesus is repeating that little phrase and it brings to mind that none of us like waiting. Amen? Amen. We don't like waiting. We want things immediately. We want them quickly. We want them now. Kids, any of you guys like waiting for Christmas? No? Any of you like waiting for your birthday to come? No, my son had a birthday yesterday and waiting was not high on his priority list. Um, But hey, big kids, aka adults, you don't like waiting either. It's not something that you grow out of. You, you don't like waiting for vacation. Uh, and, and then when you get on vacation, you have learned from Jesus. Because when your kids say, how much longer, what do you respond? A little while. A little while. And it was just as frustrating to the disciples as it is to your kiddos in the car, as it is to you When you hear that phrase, when you're waiting for something as well, a little while. I think the Lord taught me and my wife more about waiting uh, in the midst of our adoption process than ever before. And it was like every uh, opportunity we had to do our part, we got it done really quickly and submitted and turned in. But then every moment after that, we just had to wait on others, wait on government, wait on the agency, wait on another country, wait and wait and wait. And the Lord taught us so much in that. And that's where the disciples are at in the midst of this conversation. In John 13 through 17, Jesus is at the end of his ministry. He's entered into Jerusalem It's the last day and night before he will be crucified on the next day. And Jesus is sharing his last words with his disciples. And he's shared so many good, helpful truths with them. Um, Even like the, the previous paragraph. Even saying that it would be to their advantage that Jesus would go away from them uh, in a little bit. After the cross and the resurrection. Because If he would go away, then he would send the Spirit to be with them. And that was going to be to their advantage. And so that was one advantage, one of the gospel realities that uh, that Jesus was sharing with his disciples that evening. But he lets us in on a few more. Several more gospel realities that are to our advantage to have. And after he speaks to the disciples these things, he's going to then turn heavenward and ask his father to make these realities true in the life of the disciples. And while the disciples on that evening had to wait a little while for Jesus to accomplish these things for them, he that next day would need to be crucified. He would need to be buried, and there would be sorrow for some three days, uh, a little while. He would rise from the dead, and, and 40 days later would ascend to the throne, the exalted Christ. Ten days after that, they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so while the disciples in our passage had to wait a little while, John's writing this many years later. And the the people who John is writing to don't have to wait. These are realities for them then because they're looking backward at the cross, much like we are today. And so while Jesus spoke to them that one short little sentence and they didn't understand what it meant, that they had to wait a little while, uh, we know that we're on this side of the cross 
And that we don't have to wait. These are realities for us right here and right now. I want you to listen to what one pastor said about this. He said, draw near to the Lamb now for living water. You don't have to wait. Living waters will flow from the Lamb's presence in the new Jerusalem. But that doesn't mean you should neglect coming to Jesus now. The blessings of the new age have broken into the present world through the person of Jesus. We don't have to wait till the end to begin experiencing this eternal life. He offers it now. Don't wait for the end. Seek him now. That's good, isn't it? You know who said that? Your pastor. Last May, when he was preaching Revelation 22, 1 through 5, that truth that he's preaching to my church this morning. And that, that was true back in May. It's true now as well. And I'm not telling you anything that those of you who know Christ uh, don't already know. I'm not telling you anything that uh, you haven't been led to recite in 1 Peter 1 that in a little while we will be able to be full of joy and that you have already sung in the songs that we just, just sang. Songs that have prepared us well for this text in John. I encourage you to go and sing those all week long and see how rich they were for us this morning. But I want us to consider these gospel realities in this passage for us now. Uh, William Tyndale, that great English translator, defined the gospel this way. The gospel is the good, merry, glad, and joyful news that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is really the effect of the good news. But what is the good news uh, itself in a nutshell? The good news is simply the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died and that he was buried and that he rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the good news. And that's the, the place from which these realities are ours. In fact, that's what the little while that Jesus is alluding to in this passage. And so my hope for us this morning is that we would be both reminded of the gospel truths, but that they wouldn't just stay stuck in our mind this week. That the gospel truth would infect our hearts and infect our lives, that the effect of the gospel would be uh, experienced by us and lived out by us. So if you're taking notes this morning, and I hope you are, I hope that you will write a few of these uh, things down. I've got four notes for you, four gospel realities for us now. And the first one is this, it's that the gospel turns sorrow for sin into fullness of joy. The gospel turns sorrow for sin into fullness of joy. Jesus said there in verse 16, what could have been his last words to his disciples that evening, but they were confused. And so Jesus pressed in a little bit and explained and spoke a little more. But he says to them in verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will See me again. Let's put our, remind ourselves where we're at and consider where the disciples were. They were on the other side of the cross. So what was confusing to them about Jesus saying a little while and you won't see me and a little while and you will see me. They're thinking, what are you talking about? We can look back at the cross and know very clearly what, what Jesus was saying, especially with the help of his explanation. And so while Jesus had this declaration in verse 16, it's the disciples who have this interrogation going on in their minds in verse 17. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me and 
because I'm going to the Father. And so after this interrogation, Jesus gives them a bit of an explanation. Verse 18, so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. But in verse 19, Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me? Again, John could have simply just told us what Jesus said and not have to repeat all of this back and forth of what the disciples were thinking and what Jesus knew they were thinking. But John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, includes it for us to realize that what was going to be a little while for them then is a reality for us right now. Because we live on this side of the cross. There's so many time stamps in our text this morning. Little while, in that day, in that hour, uh, now, now, now. There's so many of these time stamps that I think point us to the fact that we don't have to wait. And if a explanation of this wasn't enough for them, Jesus gives them an illustration. One that's familiar to many of you. In verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. This is something that many of you mothers know way better than us fathers. Amen? This is something, though, that we all know to be true in life. We've either been in that delivery room or uh, we've heard about the pain in childbirth. But this isn't the way that it always was meant to be. Pain in childbirth showed up somewhere, not in Genesis 1, but in Genesis 3. Pain in childbirth was actually the result of sin, It was the result of the sin of Adam and Eve. And so along with uh, the toil and the labor and the thorns that would come from the ground, part of the curse was pain in childbirth. And both of those, for the man and for the woman, would be reminders that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. So it's God's gift to us in one way, if you, if, you're, if you allow yourself to think about it that way, pain and childbirth, pain and toil in work are reminders to us that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And yet, this phrase, a, a little while for them, as short as that may be, and I know moms, it doesn't feel short. <laughs> it doesn't feel short. But that phrase, a little while, is also reminiscent of language that the prophets used, speaking of the time that they would wait before the Messiah would come later on. Several different prophets saying, a little while, a little while you will have sorrow, uh, but, but after that little while there will be joy. And where these ideas seem to come together most clearly uh, is in uh, Isaiah 26. It seems to be a place where uh, Jesus was thinking about, uh, a place that Jesus alludes to, that John writes down this moment for us. In Isaiah 26, verse 16, consider how those saints before us, the prophets before us, spoke about that little while. Those who were waiting and yearning in the midst of their sin, longing for a Messiah to come. Consider the words of the prophet in Isaiah twenty six sixteen, where he says, O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhe, but we have given birth to wind. 
We've accomplished no deliverance in the earth. And the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Essentially saying that on our own, we can't bring forth a child. On our own, we're still waiting. On our own, there's no deliverance. We're still in agony. We're still in pain. There's no hope by ourselves. They're longing for a coming Messiah. Which is why Isaiah continues to write in verse 19, Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. He even invites in verse 20, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. (laughs) He's coming out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth will disclose the bloodshed on it and will no more cover its slain. They were full of sorrow like a pregnant woman, but had given birth to wind. But the invitation was to come. Hide for a little while for the Lord is coming. And that was what they had to wait for, a little while. But that little while has come for us in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ from His place in heaven to the earth to live a life that Adam nor Eve nor anyone else since then has been able to live. And yet willingly, He says, gave His life to be crucified on the cross for our sin. So then in the midst of our sin, we could have fullness of joy that comes through forgiveness of our sin. It comes through new life in Christ. And so Jesus says to them, after this illustration, so also you have sorrow now. And they did. They had both sorrow for their sin Uh, as was encouraged for them to have, even in the Beatitudes, blessed are you who mourn. They had sorrow for the fact that Jesus was going to leave them. And they didn't know what they were going to do without Him. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Speaking of His resurrection. And your hearts in that moment will rejoice And no one will take your joy from you. What a promise to these disciples on that night in the midst of confusion, in the midst of sorrow for their sin, in the midst of the what they were experiencing, what good news for them. And Christian, while we don't have to wait for a little while for the sorrow for sin to be turned into the fullness of of joy, we are still commanded to wait a little while for those to be experienced in their fullness, right? And we, we can, many of us have had our sorrow for our sin turned into joy because we've been forgiven. And we've been given a joy that is just unexplainable. Obviously, it had to come from the Lord, but we continue to press in and, and walk through struggles in this life. And Romans 8 calls them groaning and moaning, kind of like birth pains, right? Until one day when we die or Jesus returns and all things are made new. And so while we don't have to wait for the gospel realities of joy to be ours now, we do have to wait a little while looking to the one who made them a reality for us now. We do have to continue to press on. And so if you're waiting in a more serious situation than waiting for a Christmas gift or a birthday present, you're waiting in a more serious situation like an adoption process or for your, the birth of your own child in your womb, or you're waiting for a sickness, an illness, 
to um, be done with, or you're waiting for the Lord to provide for you financially in a way that you just don't see the way out, or you're waiting for a relationship to be restored that's been broken up to this point. Let me encourage you that one of the realities you have right now is joy in the midst of whatever you're waiting for. And you can rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ whether any of those things come to fruition or not. Whether the adoption's completed, whether you're even able to give birth to the child that's in your womb or not, you're able to have joy in that moment. You're able to have joy even through the cancer or through the sickness or through the broken relationships that you're experiencing because Christ has died and he lives again and he's coming again. And so while we don't have to wait a little while for the joy, we do have to wait a little while for him to return. And so we press on. But there's more good news in this. Not only does the gospel turn sorrow for joy, a sorrow for sin into fullness of joy. The gospel turns the presence of the son into access to the father. That's the second point for you there in verse 22, um, in verse 23, excuse me, that the gospel turns the presence of the son into access to the father. In verse 23 We have another timestamp there, followed by another truly, truly. Jesus says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. In that day, when Jesus died and rose from the dead, they would no longer have to ask Jesus for anything. Up to that point, and you can track this in the Gospel of John, I have in preaching through John, they asked Jesus plenty. Uh, In fact, when Jesus said that he was going away to them, uh, going away from them, they asked him, where are you going? And then when he told them, they say, well, which way are you going? As if there was another way you know, to the Father. And now after they knew where he was going and which way he was going, they started asking him, when are you going? And he told them, a little while. But they're not going to be asking him anything anymore. In that day, Jesus said, you're going to be able to ask the Father. And you're going to be able to ask the Father in my name. Because at that point, when Jesus in a little while would die... And a little while after that would be raised from the dead. Jesus was going to accomplish uh, access to the Father that would be given to them. And those of you who know the story, you know that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence resided, there was a curtain dividing the Holy of Holies Uh, between the rest of the temple and the rest of the people of God. And when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain there dividing the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn from top to bottom, uh, symbolizing that access to the Heavenly Father was given to mankind through the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, And not only that, but the the access to the Father would be even given in a special way through the presence of the Holy Spirit to all of those who repent and believe. And so Jesus is alluding to that moment that would come in a little while or on that day that they will not have to ask Him, but they will be asking the Father and they will do so in His name. And so Jesus encourages them To look forward to that day when they can pray as he originally taught them. You remember how Jesus, when the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. He said, well, when you pray, you ought to pray our father. Not 
my father, Jesus speaking, as he was. He was Jesus' heavenly father uh, as a part of the Trinity. But Jesus says, in that day you will say, our father. Because through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ and by his grace alone, we've been adopted into his family as sons and daughters. And so we have now access to Jesus's father and Jesus's father is our father in the same way that when we went through our adoption process for a period of time, we were asking for pictures through a mediator and received pictures um, through a mediator to be able to see our child. We were able to even send gifts overseas through a mediator to be able to do that. But in that day, when we stood there before him and, and brought him back to our hotel room and eventually back to our home several days and weeks later, there was no mediator uh, needed. We were able, he was able to ask his father for whatever he needed in that day. And the same is true of you, Christian. In the midst of whatever you're waiting through for Christ's return, ask. Ask your heavenly Father for whatever you need that your joy might be full. This isn't the first time Jesus has even challenged His disciples to ask. In the midst of Jesus commanding them to abide in Christ, abide in His Word, and abide in His love in John 15, He says, ask whatever you need and it will be given to you. Christian, we're... We are commanded to ask our Heavenly Father for whatever we need to be able to abide in Christ and continue waiting until He returns. Christian, you're commanded to ask the Father in the name of Jesus for whatever you need so that your joy might be full in the midst of whatever you're waiting for. And ask according to His will. We all know that The Lord, as much as we pray for that sickness to be delivered from or for that situation to be done away with um, or for that provision to uh, or, or whatever it is to be given to us, those things don't necessarily always come. But what we can rest assured on is that the joy that Jesus promises us in whatever situation, is ours if we ask for it. Whatever we need for our joy to remain full, the Lord Jesus will give it to us as we ask our Heavenly Father. And this is a gospel reality for us right here, right now. It's an encouragement for you, Christian, to not wait until next Sunday to come to your pastor's to begin praying and asking the Father for what you need to continue steadfastly and for your joy to remain full. It's an encouragement for you to right then and there in your home, bow your knees before your Heavenly Father. He's a good, good Father. And every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows He will give you everything you need for your joy to remain full and for you to remain steadfast in the midst of those things. It's encouragement for you who may have grown up in a a different tradition to come to a priest or to pray to Mary or to pray to a saint in hopes of your prayers gaining better access to the Father through someone like that, Jesus says, no. No, you go directly to the Father because of what I've done. Ask the Father in my name and it will be given to you. You don't need anyone else. Though I would encourage you to go to other pastors and brothers and sisters, not to gain better access, but to have others who have that same access going to the throne of the Father on your behalf. That's why we go to one another. That's why we ask our pastors to pray for us in the midst of those things. 
These are gospel realities for us right here and right now. We want to take advantage of them. So go to the Lord in prayer this week so that your joy might be full. But thirdly, he gives us another gospel reality. There in verse 25. Here we see that the gospel turns the timid uncertainty of the disciples into confident clarity. The gospel will end up turning in a little while their timid uncertainty into confident clarity. In verse 25, Jesus says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. That's a fancy way of saying in a confusing way. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you'll ask in my name, as he had said just previously. And I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So Jesus says that in a little while, and in that day, when when I go to the Father, uh, after I've died and I've been raised, I will ascend to the Father and I'll send my Holy Spirit, and in that day, All of those figures of speech that I spoke to you, Jesus would say, about who he was, about what he came to do, uh, about what he would do in and through them, all of those figures of speech would become clear. And the timid uncertainty that the disciples had, the sorrow that they had in their hearts, the confusion that they had in that moment would become clear. We see this played out in Luke chapter 24 when the disciples, after Jesus died and rose from the dead, were up in the upper room hiding, wondering, confused, timid, uncertain in that moment. And Jesus showed up to them and he said, it says that he explained to them all the things from the scriptures concerning himself. He explained to them all of those figures of speech from both the Old Testament and his time with them, what they really meant and that they were ultimately pointing to him and pointing to his death and his resurrection. And so while they then didn't understand what it could possibly possibly mean for Jesus to go away for a little while and then come back after a little while, And even though we better understand what he meant from that, Jesus was saying in that day, I'll explain it to you. And your uncertainty will turn into confident clarity. In a moment, you're going to see them scattering and running when Jesus is arrested uh, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they'll hide up in the upper room for a little while. And they'll look up into the clouds and wonder, what, what, what are we to do next? When the angel said, why are you looking at the clouds? He'll return one day. And they would get the whole gift of the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts is full of stories of these timid, uncertain disciples. After the cross and the resurrection, the ascension, And the gift of the Holy Spirit going out with confident clarity, boldness and courage to proclaim the truth of the gospel. This good news of sorrow for sin turning into fullness of joy. This good news of um, access to the Father being given to them through the Son. So that others too would have these figures of speech that they had been taught as children and grown up hearing uh, in the synagogue over and over and over would finally become clear in their minds through the work of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 would be saved. 
And thousands more would be saved and baptized. And the church would be born and the church would grow up and the church would be scattered again and sent out. Um, They would go out and proclaim the gospel wherever they went. And because they were confident and clear on these things, we too have heard about these things. And so we have reason to rejoice that in that day Jesus gave those disciples who were full of uncertainty, gave them clarity of those things. Hindsight's always 2020, isn't it? The disciples could look back on the cross and the resurrection and say, Oh, I see what you did there, Jesus. I see what you meant by the little while, little while now. And we too, though we don't have to wait a little while for these gospel realities, we do have to wait a little while for Christ to return and to make all all things new. And we may be wondering in the midst of the waiting, how long, O Lord? How long? Or how? Or where? Who? What? When? Where? Why? How? All the questions. And we need to remember that in that day, all things will be clear. But this much is clear right now. We don't have to wait. We can know and rest on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's good news for us this morning. But then lastly, uh, the gospel will also turn false assurance into true peace. The gospel will turn false assurance into true peace. Just like the disciples, even though Jesus said in that day, um, I, I, the figures of speech will become clear. The disciples jumped ahead of him and said, ah, now you're speaking plainly. We know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Oh, now you are speaking. Now we understand, they, they said. They jumped the gun. They didn't understand yet. They hadn't seen those things yet. Jesus had told them, wait a little while and these things will become clear. And they jumped the gun thinking, oh, now we, we got it, Jesus. We're clear. We know all of these things. We understand what you mean. But Jesus, remember, who knew what they were thinking when they didn't say their question out loud earlier in the passage, he also knows what they're thinking now. Even though they said that now we know, he knows they don't know. He knows that they don't know because he knows what they're about to do when he's arrested. And so he questions them in verse 31. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe Behold, the hour is coming. Think about the future reference. The hour is coming. But Jesus says it's almost in the present tense because it's as good as done. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The disciples thought that they knew. They had a false assurance uh, in their own hearts and in their own minds. But in that day, after Jesus died and rose from the dead, they would have a true peace that would be able to bring them through any tribulation. So even though when the soldiers would come to arrest Jesus and the disciples would scatter in the midst of their false assurance, when they witnessed the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and rose from the dead, they wouldn't be scattering anymore. They wouldn't be uh, running away. Even history would tell us that most of these apostles would stay in Jerusalem and continue to proclaim the gospel in the Jerusalem church. They wouldn't be fearful any longer. They would have true peace. And Jesus didn't say that one of the realities of the gospel is that everything will go easy after that, did he? 
No, he actually even promised them that in the world you will have tribulation. But he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus promises them a peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus offers them a peace that the world cannot offer them in the midst of hardship, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of trials, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of death. Jesus offered them peace. And that same peace that they had to wait a little while for as they witnessed the crucifixion and resurrection, we don't have to wait for We're looking backward on that. And so Christian, you may be longing for a sense of peace and you may have fallen into the trap that we all fall into thinking that earthly circumstances will make life peaceful. But time will tell that they don't. Only the Gospel will give us a peace that goes beyond our earthly circumstances. Only the gospel will turn our false assurance in this worldly peace into true peace that comes through Jesus Christ that will enable us to walk through tribulations. And so Jesus encourages them to take heart. For while they don't have to wait a little while for these gospel realities, they do have to wait a little while for Him to return. And just like The prophets of the Old Testament used that language to refer to the coming, the time that they would have to wait for the coming of the Messiah. So too do these apostles use that same language a little while for Christians to wait for the return of Christ. In fact, we read one this morning, so I don't have to read it from 1 Peter chapter 1. Go read it again in your booklet that was handed out this morning in 1 Peter chapter 1, waiting a little while, but with the fullness of joy. We do wait for Christ, and we wait um, confidently because we know that Jesus, as he said here in this passage, even in the past tense, I have overcome the world, even though he had yet to die and rise from the dead, they were as good as done. He could say it as if they were in the past tense because he would make good on his promise. Which is why when you get to the book of Revelation and John is weeping and sorrowful uh, in the midst of no one being able to open the seal of the scroll, he's told to weep no more, sorrow no more, for the Lamb has conquered. Revelation 5.5, weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that we can open the scroll and its seals. And so we, living on this side of the cross, have this confident clarity. We have this this assurance uh, moving forward. We have fullness of joy. And we do wait a little while. As the writer of Hebrews said, yet a little while and the coming one will come and he will not delay. We do wait a little while and we're encouraged to like Jesus because we worship Jesus who did conquer. We too will conquer. We too will conquer. Which is why Jesus commands the church in Revelation 2 through 3. Uh, he urges them and promises them seven promises to all who conquer, all who wait a little while faithfully and steadfastly. And so we're encouraged to wait a little while in these gospel realities as we wait for the rest of the gospel promises to become a reality in the future. So Christian, be sorrowful for your sin especially as we celebrate the Lord's Supper and yet rejoice in the resurrection. Rejoice in Him forever. Ask the Father for what you need this morning as we remember the cross and His body that was given and His blood that was shed. Ask Him for whatever you need for your joy to remain full. Take heart in the midst of whatever tribulation 
you're waiting in the midst of right now, for He overcame your sin through His death on the cross. And if you've come here this morning and your, your present reality is attempting to find these benefits in something that the world offers and you've found them lacking, let me tell you what many of us know in this room because we too sought them in relationships, in pleasures, in anything that the world would offer us we came to a point where we realized that they were only found in Jesus Christ. We repented of our sins. We trusted Christ alone and were saved. And these things are ours now and we want them to be yours too. And so let me encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ, trust Him this morning. And these realities will be yours for the first time this morning. We're encouraged and invited to come. Jesus invites the disciples. He invites all who are weary and heavy laden to come. And we're going to hear a song sung over us in a moment that will invite us to come. So Christian, come. Knowing these gospel realities in your mind, might you come and see them fleshed out in your heart and in your life. And if you've yet to trust Christ, come. And experience them for the first time. Let's pray. Father, would you, in Jesus' name I pray, make these realities fresh for those of us who know them. And make them new for those who never knew them. Jesus, thank you for what you accomplished. And what was a little while for them, we look back on. With hindsight being 2020, we are thankful that you, even more so, opened our eyes and our ears and gave us new hearts to see these things, hear these things, and believe these things. Holy Spirit, thank you for your movement in our heart. Even help this morning to guide us into all truth, as you promised, and as Jesus promised in John 16. So now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you do that work in those who have yet to trust in you this morning, that they too might know of these gospel realities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.